Hello, broads. Hey, broads. So before we hop into this episode today, we wanted to... Which is going to be quite an episode. It is going to be heartbreaking, but also very, for one, just very interesting. And Mm -hmm. I sort of feel bad saying that, but like, I think that our guest would agree that her story is definitely an interesting one Mm -hmm. and one that isn't finished yet. It's not finished yet. And it's one that needs to be told. Also, when we initially talked to her about coming on, um, I only knew a certain extent of what had happened, just a little baby piece. And I had no idea um, what this story actually entailed in her life, um, where it ended up. And I would definitely encourage all of you to finish this episode because um, it definitely didn't. And I'm going to use end in quotations the way that we assumed that it would. Yes. It Um, took a bit of a turn. And it's definitely um, one that I think at the end has a call to action. That's really important. So we would just definitely encourage you all to listen all the way through. Yeah. Um, And then also on another note, um, because of the way the podcast is we also have ads running through this episode which may seem like a little out of place and maybe even a little funky feeling as we're transitioning yeah we just wanted to um you know give uh you all a heads up that there are going to be ads in this and we don't want it to come off um as insensitive but um thanks to our sponsors mm -hmm. uh all the revenue from these ads of this episode will be going to survivor organizations that our guest has selected and specifically benefited from so we're really glad that we get to do that yeah so thank you to our sponsors and uh let's get into it Episode of Chatty Broads with Becca and Jess. Hello, Broads. Hi, Broads. How are y'all doing today? Hope it's a lovely one. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good today. I'm excited. I'm excited. I our guest today is someone who I've been really wanting to talk to. I know. I'm getting, I'm going into this a little bit blind and I'm excited. Yeah. I've been really excited because I've been wanting to talk to her for a while. Um, I believe it was actually during, um, Hannah's season, um, when we were discussing certain things about Luke and I believe that's what it was. And, and something came up, um, about trauma and this girl reached out to me. And was, first of all, so kind and wanting to help, like, educate on certain things in, like, the most beautiful way, which always just makes my heart soar. This, by the way, is the cool part about being in the broad community Mm -hmm. is that, you know, there's so many different people with different perspectives and it's pretty cool to be able to like connect at any time it's so cool it's also so eye-opening and we've talked about this a hundred times but one of the biggest gifts for us has been able uh that we've been able to like glean so much personally like as we've been learning on this journey um with all of you and this particular person though um had so many good things to say and then she started to tell me just like a bit about her story and i was like in shock because first of all, you could just hear like the light in this person's voice just via the messages. Um, and then to hear what she's experienced, I, I really had like no words. And I just right away asked her, I was like, would you be comfortable coming on the episode and talking about your story? Um, yeah. So when was that? You're talking about that last year? 
we've been talking back and forth for quite a while and it's been just trying to book and the days get crossed over. And so I was like, okay, I I've been wanting to have her on and I'm so excited and also very excited and honored that she'll come on and share this story. Um, because it is something that is going to, I'm sure be not easy for her to talk about because it is extremely personal and traumatic. So before we do get into it, um, we do want to do a uh, large trigger warning. Violence, um, vi- sexual assault, and just talking about difficult topics in general. So yes. that's not the headspace you're in today, or if you may be triggered by these topics, maybe not the right episode for you to listen to. Mm-hmm. And also if you have little ones around. Yes. Which that's probably a disclaimer for every fucking episode that we record. I'm pretty sure we have an explicit <laughs> on all of our episodes, so that's probably something just to know in general. But um, you know what? Also, your choice. isn't it cool that, uh, I mean, two weeks ago we had on our broad squad member with the fertility awareness I method know, episode. I know. And that was neat. That's something that we wouldn't probably have had on unless you had reached out as a listener. I know. And now having another listener on. It's really so, cool. It's been, I, I, I just feel like so overwhelmed it's and blessed an by our community. Yeah. Podcast. It is an interactive podcast. <laughs> um, and with that being said, Broad Squad, please welcome Chantel Dashner Griffith. Hello. 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 <laughs> How are Hi. you? Thank you for having me. I was just saying before we started recording, I'm like, I can't believe I'm actually seeing your face. We've been messaging for a while now. You guys are internet <laughs> a friends. A long time. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for being willing to come on and, and share um, your story. Was it during Luke's? That was when you initially reached out to me, right? Was it Luke's? Um, what was it about yeah. now? I'm curious. Um. I think it was at the men tell all one of the men jumped in and was like, oh, well, Luke learned his lesson. Oh, and I was like, he's an abuser. You don't get to claim that he learned his lesson. Mm -hmm. That's for him to say if he did or not. And he had just repeated that he wasn't in the wrong for the things that he had done. So I was like, what? And I immediately was like, yes, this isn't okay. <laughs> right. And Becky and I were kind of like, well, Luke, poor guy, he's getting to the end. We yeah, started yeah. to like take a certain side. And then Chantel messaged me this and I was like, oh shit, she has some serious points. And then when I heard the story, I'm like, okay, if anyone's going to talk into this, it should not be me. It should be her. So <laughs> I'm grateful for you sending that to me. So I'm grateful you responded. <laughs> For starters, can we get a little background info on just like who you are, how old you are, where you're from, any fun facts, tidbits, that kind of thing? So I'm 25 and I used to be a historical archaeologist and now I am a chronically ill, disabled survivor of traumatic brain injury, sexual assault and attempted homicide. And that is what I do. So I survive. That's what I do. I don't work anymore. I can't. But um, I reach out and I talk to other survivors and that's who I am now. Yeah. What about your, what about your, I guess, general things about like where, what area of the country you're brought up? A little bit of background maybe in that sense. Yeah. So um, I'm from Boston. (laughs) Uh, like everybody in my family and 
will probably always be from Boston because that's how Boston works. <laughs> um, and I, um, I have a little one. I became a parent when I was 16, not by my own choices, but um, my brother had a daughter. And then when she was three days old, she came to live with me and my mom. So I'm also a parent. <laughs> and those are, yeah. I feel like when I'm asked to define who I am, I don't have like fun facts or tidbits anymore because I'm only three months, I mean, three years into this life. Yes. Mm -hmm. And I'm a completely different person because the chemical makeup of my brain changed. So mm -hmm. I don't, I'm still learning what I like. Like mm -hmm. I'm just now learning how to read again. And so I, I don't even know what kind of books I like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But being a parent is a big thing. Being disabled and outspoken is a big thing. Being from Boston is a huge thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, with with that being said, would you mind if we just jumped into your story? Yeah, since, is that like, the you best said, way to go, to go yeah. into it? Is just like how when things changed and how all yeah. that happened? Okay, yeah. So, I um, I was twenty two. And I had worked multiple jobs, took a double course load in college, graduated summa cum laude, um, was a member of five honor societies, and was raising my goddaughter when I decided I needed some space because I realized that I was going to go for my PhD in historical archaeology. So I wanted to take a year and just get away. So having never left the country... I got a plane ticket to Iceland. I bought a backpack. I filled it with four months worth of stuff and I left. And I made it to about five weeks before I was taken. And that's the word that I use because kidnapping feels weird to me. So yeah, I was taken. Wait, so what was the context surrounding this? Like, where were you traveling? Like what? What exact, what, what? <laughs> At the, yeah, right? I'm like, like, okay, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so I decided to go backpacking. I was planning on backpacking all over the world. Okay. I was in Europe at the time. Okay. Okay. Now, five weeks in, I had checked off 10 countries and I was in Switzerland. When I was in the Alps in a hostel, when two men, American veterans, um, middle-aged who had one of them, I know left their wife at home, um, targeted me in the Alps. They saw me hiking cause I was hiking alone. Cause again, solo travel, bailing, doing my thing. Right. Time alone. Um, sure. Yeah. And they were staying in my hostel and everybody seemed to get along with them. And part of the backpacking community is you just sort of go with the flow. You make friends with everybody. You learn as you go what vibe is not your vibe sure. and what is. And I didn't see any issue because especially them having been service members, um, yeah. when they introduced themselves and everybody liked them everybody already knew them because I had come to the hostel late they um 
I guess I just didn't see any warning signs. Mm -hmm. And and then that night, that first night that I knew them, that I met them, um, well, they had seen me the day before. They had seen me the day before while I was hiking and I was through a town in the Alps. So I didn't, I noticed that these two dudes in their, in like the middle of their life were like watching me, but I didn't think much of it right? because I was the only solo traveler there. It was all families. And then the next night I formally met them and we all sat around and had a glass of wine in my hostel and we talked and again, found out they were service members, figured it was all good. And then the next day when I was leaving, I was going to the base of the Alps to go to a town called Interlaken where they do extreme sports Mm -hmm. because I wanted to go skydiving and do all the things. Um, And they said they had been there before and they would like to show me around. And I said, okay. Can I, can I pause before you continue? And I wondered like, is that something that fucked with you later on? I, you're saying, you know, I didn't see any warning signs. Has that been something that's been really difficult for you now feeling like what was wrong with my intuition? Should I have seen something? I mean, was that, has that been something that's been really hard for you to overcome? Yeah. And I was coming off the heels of a really bad breakup where my partner whom I had lived with for four years, uh, slept with my friend. And then Mm. I found out through his family that he had molested some of his siblings and cousins Mm. and I had no idea. So I was in a state of like, what? (laughs) Right. You are, you were questioning yourself already. Exactly. So, which was also a bizarre story. Like what? Um, but when I was backpacking, I felt free and I felt safe Mm -hmm. and I was really giving into my own energy and accepting other people's. Yeah. So then to be like as low as I can be to as high as I can be. And then this happens. Because you're in a vulnerable state of trust too, of like trusting the universe and like the new people you're interacting with. And I'm also sure there's got to be a trust, like you were saying in the backpack community and just even being in an environment in a hostel where you're like, right. Well, and it's not in the same boat. It's, it's not like you did something out of the ordinary. Like I have so many friends who have done what you did and make friends. And then they end up traveling all over Europe, even though they just met there in a hostel. It's like a very, it's like a very common thing that happens. Yeah. I still have like 40 friends from that community who I met that way. And they've been some of my strongest supporters since. Mm. Wow. If you've been listening to this podcast at all recently, you've been hearing us talk, especially Becca, about trying to live a more sustainable lifestyle. And when it comes to clothing uh, shopping, one of the best ways you can do that is through consignment stores. But what about when you're looking to treat yourself and shop for some luxury consignment, maybe for a special occasion or gift? We can find nowhere better to shop luxury consignment than The Real Real. Through The Real Real, you can shop and consign women's and men's luxury fashion and streetwear, as well as fine jewelry, watches, art, and home goods. You can own iconic luxury items from top designers like Louis Vuitton, Gucci, Rolex, Cartier, and hundreds more at up to 90% off retail. You can go on Online, download the app or visit one of their stores in Soho or West Hollywood 
or their newest location at 870 Madison Avenue in New York. If you've ever had a chance to check out one of their brick and mortar stores in person, I would highly recommend it. They're absolutely gorgeous. And also, one of the toughest things about luxury consignment is knowing that it is the real deal before spending your money, and the real real makes uh, sure you are getting that. New arrivals come in daily, and every item undergoes the real real's meticulous authentication process through their over 100 employees and brand specialists that cover that gamut. Uh, go on their website and just browse. I promise you will find deals that will shock you. I know Valentine's Day is tomorrow, but if you need any last minute gift ideas, I'd encourage you to check out The Real Real. Shop in store, online, or download the app and get 20% off select items with promo code REAL. I have used it myself. That's therealreal.com, promo code REAL for 20% off select items. So this next company is one of my absolute favorites because they are not only the most comfortable, their products are made with sustainable fabric and the company itself is just top notch taking care of their employees and doing so much for the community. I'm talking about MeUndies. It's important for you to feel your most comfortable and MeUndies does just that. Yes, they are truly, hands down, the most comfortable because they're made with micromodal, which is this sustainable fabric made from beechwood trees, and it truly is the softest thing you've ever felt. And they offer a range of sizes from extra small to 4XL. And we know you've all heard about them before everywhere, but that is truly because they are the best. I love MeUndies. I love them so much, but I think my most favorite product from MeUndies is their loungewear. It is also made with that incredibly soft micromodal material. They have pants and tank tops and t-shirts and robes. And honestly, at home, I never get out of my pants and t-shirt from MeUndies. It's not worth it because everything else feels terrible compared to how comfortable they are. And now with their new loungewear designs, it's not just pajamas for at home. There are clothes that you can wear out and be your most cozy self. And remember, uh, undies also MeUndies also has a membership that if you choose to sign up, you'll get perks like site-wide savings, free shipping, and new undies delivered to your door each and every month. Me Undies has a great offer for our listeners now. For any first-time purchasers, you get 15% off and free shipping. And it's really a no-brainer, especially because they have a 100% satisfaction guarantee. To get your 15% off, to get 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee, go to meundies.com/chatty. That's meundies.com/chatty. Okay, so you were going to Interlochen. Yeah, so I was going to Interlochen and they said, oh, well, you know, we can show you around. We were just there and we'd be happy to. And I was like, okay. And like on some level, I guess I was curious because they were so much older than me, but I was willing to take out, you know, take anything in that people were willing to give me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so we drove to Interlochen. I took my rental. They took theirs. And... I checked into a separate hostel from them. I checked into a hostel I had booked a long time in advance and they asked to meet for dinner. And I said, okay. Um, So after they, I guess, checked into their hostel, we met back up and we had dinner. And then they said, there's a local bar that like we can go check out. And there are a lot of backpackers there. And I said, okay. And I went and... I ordered a cider, went to the bathroom before it got there. And when I got back, it was there. And I shouldn't have drank it. Oh, God. And from there, 
it's a lot of black and patchy, but there are things that will always be there. Like, I don't know how many places they brought me, but they dragged me through the streets by my arms, by my hair. Nobody intervened. Um, not at the bar, not in the streets. I was screaming. I remember that. They brought me blocks and blocks back to their hostel. After, at one point, pissing on me in the streets, like, taking turns. And I... They brought me to their hostel. Is um, this a populated area? Like, are people seeing that? Would, would people, people have People watched it happen. And so this is where my big trust thing comes. It's not just my intuition. It's the belief in the collective. Yeah. And... In humanity around you to protect people. Yeah. So... They brought me to their hostel and I remember people laughing a lot at me and I wasn't sure what was happening. And I don't know how much damage was done to me at that point because I have severe muscle and nerve damage and like I blew out my knee. I couldn't move my neck or my arms for like almost a year. But um, then they brought me upstairs Sorry, do you, do you think with with the with people laughing at you were were these men? Are these other people telling? In the yeah, were they? I were, guess so. I'm not sure if they worked there or if they were staying there or what. But I have distinct memories of people laughing at me in that hostel because I didn't recognize it until my escape when I saw it. So I have no recollection of even like moving from place to place except for when they were dragging me and pissing on me that was it and then the laughing and then I remember being upstairs and in the course of a few hours I was brutally raped by one of them multiple ways and um they They gave me a traumatic brain injury. So traumatic brain injuries can be anything from concussions on up. But what made mine different was they bashed in my head anywhere from 20 to 30 times. So although I didn't have any bleeding outside of a regular concussion, which turns a concussion is a bruise on your brain, right? So there Mm -hmm. is bleeding technically inside. But it's not a brain bleed. It's a concussion. So my whole brain was a bruise. Oh, my God. Do you know? I'm I'm so sorry I'm asking these logistical questions. But, like, you said that you were able to recognize the hostel from your escape. Is that what you said? And, like, no, I'm not sure. Do you have any information now how many people would have been staying at that hostel or the living quarter situation of, like, people hearing in the other room? When when I spoke to the two guys before this all happened, they told me that they were lucky to get a room because they were all booked. And I was, throughout throughout the course of when I was upstairs, 
one of them went to sleep and one of them took me and did all of this to me. And he also strangled me into unconsciousness. So I lost consciousness repeatedly, which is really dangerous with concussions and like anything. But that's part of why it's black and patchy after the drugs. When when after the drugs, do you think that you were coming? I mean, I suppose because of all the trauma, like the traumatic injuries that were happening when were you starting to come more into consciousness yeah were you able are you able to pretty vividly remember everything like everything as it was being done parts of it not others i was taken on september 25th and then on september 26th after he had done what he could and he thought i was dead or as good as dead He brought me from the dark room that he had done everything in to the bedroom where the other one was sleeping. And he held me, my arms behind my back, and laid down. So he, in not getting me medical attention, in acknowledging that I was going to die, they were going to go to sleep let me die and deal with it in the morning, deal with my body, do whatever they were going to do. But I lost consciousness for three hours at that point. Somehow at seven in the morning, I will never forget looking over and seeing the clock. Sun came through the window of this room and I came to. And all I could think, my he had loosened me because he was asleep. Yeah. And all I could think was I have one shot. And I knew at that point that I was going to die. I fully knew. I knew there was no coming back from this. But I knew that I needed to get my body back to my mom because we're Catholic. Uh, so. Yeah. I knew I had one shot to escape to get to my hostel. So that at least my body wouldn't be gone. They wouldn't search for me. You know what I mean? My family wouldn't have to go through that. Yeah. Yeah. So I had one shot and I saw my purse and they had taken my phone through all of this and they had been Snapchatting people I knew pretending to be me and everything. And so my phone was dead and my purse was right there. And I, rolled off the bed as quietly as I could and I picked up my things and I started to stand up to run and I realized that I couldn't walk so I opened the door and I left it open because I was so scared that if I closed it they'd wake up and I crawled like I was half up on one leg like just crawling as much as I could, walking as much as I could with one leg, just down the hallway. And then I realized that I had stairs that I had to go down. And that's when I saw the bar in the lobby when I came down the stairs. And that's when I realized that that's where everybody had been laughing at me. And Because there was a bar there. Yeah. And it was the exact bar. There was blue lighting. 
And then at this point, I have handprint bruises forming around my throat. I can barely see. I can barely walk. And I'm just walking or crawling out of this hostel. And all of these people are on the sidewalk walking by. And it's like 7 a.m. All of these backpackers are walking by. And there were a few on my side of the road. And they crossed the street. And they just watched me. And that's, that's like the worst part of it. They just watched me. And I crawled two blocks to my hostel. And I went inside and I crawled up the stairs to my room and I got to my bed and I was luckily in a dorm with other people. Um, I plugged in my phone and I started to lay down. Are there any kind of like during that time, are there any sort of lucid thoughts happening? Like did, was there any thought of like, I should say something to these people or were you just in this state of like trying to make it back to your room and was there fear in talking to people? Do you remember any of of what those thoughts were you were experiencing as you were trying to find your way back? Well, I had been screaming when I was being raped and nobody came. So at that point, by the time I escaped, I just, all that clicked for me was nobody's going to do anything. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to interfere here. So my, the only thing I knew was I had to get to my room because my room had a lock on the door and they couldn't get in because they didn't, they weren't in that hostel. So my only, the only thing going through my mind is I'm going to die. The my only, body yeah. needs to be away from them. And the yeah. only thing you could trust is yourself to get yourself back to your room with the lock. Yeah. So. And I'm sure had somebody intervened, I would have taken it. But I no know one, that. But then as, you, as you're crawling back to your hostel and no one's saying anything, like it's just, I would imagine, just continuing to be like say, playing over and over again in your mind. No, of course, no one's going to, no one's going to help me. Yeah. So they just watched. Oh, they didn't just like walk by. They watched that there was eye contact. <laughs> And it didn't do anything. And when I got into my hostel room and I lay down, everything went black again. Like, everything was spinning. Like, I could feel myself dying all over again. And it was horrifying. And then I realized I need to tell my, my, my family if I can. And so I sat up. And I pulled out this tablet specifically and I pulled up Skype and I called my dad's Skype number and him and my mother were waiting because she had woken up in the middle of the night at about the same time I would have been losing consciousness, sobbing, knowing something was wrong. So they were both sitting there. My mother was inconsolable. And my father, he's kind of a crier, but like only sometimes. And he was screaming and like tears were flowing, but screaming. And I was in shock. I didn't, obviously my body was in shock, but like 
I couldn't believe that they knew something had this is, happened. This is before you were even before you were even saying anything to them. Yeah. So I just opened it, and they were already. Oh my god! And then they saw the bruises, and they were like, "Who? Who did it? Are you like, what's gonna happen?" And at that point, my phone was charged up a little, and I had the quick thinking to message somebody I met while I was backpacking, who's an ER nurse in New York. And she contacted the Swiss authorities um, to come get me. And I just laid there and a girl in my dorm actually came over to me and she said, isn't it sad? This is our reality. This happened to me two years ago. And I looked at her like shocked. She was Australian and, she had been brutally attacked by multiple men in Germany two years prior. And she said, I'll keep you awake. I'll try and keep you awake. And I said, okay. And we waited two hours for the local police to show up. And when they did, they were in SWAT gear. And at that point, for those two hours, all I could think was, I need a fucking shower. Like, all I wanted was a fucking shower. Um, And my mother's on Skype, and this girl is like, you can't do that. You need need to get the evidence to where it needs to be. And at the same time, prior to the authorities being called, I was still so convinced that it was like my end and I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with it. So I told everybody, I was like, don't call anybody. Like I don't just, just fly here, pick up my body. It's okay. Like when I was on the call with my parents and they were a mess, like that's all I could say. It was like, it'll be fine. Like I'm going to go, it'll be fine, but you need to come get me. And Then my friend called without my consent and made sure that I was picked up. How do you feel looking back on that experience uh, uh, as a survivor and having that part of your autonomy in a way removed from you again by uh, does, how do you feel about that? In hindsight, it irritates me. It irritates me. There are days, well, every single day, I think about the fact that life would be easier. And I know that this sounds really dark. Mm -hmm. Life would be easier if I hadn't escaped. The last three years of my life have been as much a living nightmare as the attack itself. And I will, I will never believe otherwise. I will never wake up and not think that. And now life's not about being easy. You know, it's not about things going the way you think they're going to go, but being this hard 
I didn't anticipate this. And having a friend, I mean, having your friend, I was wondering about that aspect of having your friend call the authorities. Is that difficult because did that add to the layer of things being out of your control? I don't think that's, I don't think that that's what irritates me. I think, how do I put this? I think what irritates me is the fact that I was in some way at peace Mm -hmm. and I was like right there. And yeah, it wasn't her place. And I, I mean, like I think about it and I don't know if I've come up with any answers about that yet. It's just... It wasn't anybody's decision at that point if I was going to live except me. Did that change your perspective? And I didn't get that. Did that Sorry, change? What? No, I was just going to say, did that change your perspective on how you might handle situations going forward in your control, like with people you may interact with, if there was to ever be a situation, anything similar to what happened to you that you would experience with someone else? Being, in, being in like her position, has that really changed your perspective on how you would interact with a survivor in the future? I was already a sexual assault survivor, which I probably should have included that mm. disclaimer uh, the first time I was 14. And so I already had that view of mm. a survivor's choices as mm. are a survivor's choices and how they cope and move forward or don't is their business. All I can do is support them in whatever their choice is. Hmm. Were you able to verbalize anything about that to her at the time or were you in just a state of? No. So I couldn't really talk from the damage to my head. Uh, It was a lot of mumbling, a lot of trying but no articulation, like Mm. nothing clear. Even now with three years under my belt, I don't speak anywhere near the way I used to, which is irritating. (laughs) Um, Yeah. That's an understatement. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So. So these actions taken, this is based on basically physical assessment of your, where you were at. I mean, I found, find that interesting that that woman intuitively knew what had happened to you without, I mean, that's. Horrible. You mean my mom? Uh, no, the, the woman the, that was at, <laughs> no, the woman that was at the hostel because she said, oh, yeah, I mean, it, oh. it's insane. And I wish I knew her name. Like I never got her name. I never saw her again. What? And it's just. Like, I think about her all the time. Like, there are people throughout the rest of my story where I regularly think about them, and I wish that I had something of them so that I could reach out just to say, I'm still here. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's just so disturbing that she could see you and say, like, basically, I know exactly what happened to you, and the same thing happened to me. It's 
horrible. Yeah. I mean, it is horrible, but what I've learned since is it's just, it's like a click. Like every single, almost every single person in my life is a survivor. And I built, I built my life like that now. You know, Mm -hmm. my support system has built around me and it's made up of these people where there is that click and it's not trauma bonding. It's not bonding over what we've been through. It's bonding over how we now move through the world. And there's a lot to be said for that. And that makes perfect sense because just to be honest, as I'm hearing you, you talk about this, because I've never experienced something like that when this woman made this call for you and that for you was wrong and that is wrong because she went against your will. Someone like me who hasn't experienced something like that, I wonder like my knee-jerk reaction would probably have been to do the same exact thing. We've all been there. It's okay. (laughs) You know, it's a learning curve. Well, was there, is this a situation too where that was, out of your control out of your control in the sense that you would not have been able to articulate am i understanding this correctly whether or not you did want help i i specifically articulated no oh you were able to articulate okay i could say i could say small phrases okay. yes okay. no i just okay. couldn't i explain what happened okay. much okay sure. yeah 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 or like much about myself or okay. anything. But you were still able yeah. to uh, sort Same of enough. advocate for yourself in terms of what you wanted or didn't want. Yeah. Yeah. And there are, of course, waves of gratitude for that. You know, this isn't a linear... Healing isn't a linear journey. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. So there's also, like... You know, there's times when, like, my little one Haley is like singing to herself, cutting up strawberries. And I'm like, damn, that woman saved me, you know? And like, that's why I'm here. And I get to see this moment and be in it. And there are moments when I watch my other nieces and nephews, nephew play. And they're like, just so excited that I'm there. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. damn, that lady saved me. (laughs) You know what I mean? So, you know, I think people don't understand either three years isn't a long time. And I've said that before, but like three years is that's a blip. Three, no, three years is nothing, especially when you've, especially in, in your healing journey, like physically, first of all, when you're talking about healing from a traumatic brain injury, I mean, that in and of itself is a short period of time. But when you're talking about trauma and grief, three years is like a drop in the bucket. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of people don't understand that. And there are moments I'm sure where you feel distant, like there are moments where things probably feel really, really close in terms of time periods. Mm -hmm. And then there are times where things might feel really, really far. far And depending on where you're feeling on that spectrum is going to distinguish how you're, you're feeling just in general. Yeah, that's, that's a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. It's. It's unreal the fluctuation that comes because for the first year of like after I was on bed rest, like I was still figuring out how to like 
wipe my own ass. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that year felt so brutally long while I was in it. And now I look back and I'm like, it was a blip on the radar. Yeah. It was a year of no progress. That is wild. Ah, it's crazy. Can we it's talk, crazy. Can we talk in terms of uh, timeline after those two hours waiting for the the authorities, and then once the Swiss yeah. authorities arrived in SWAT gear, what what went down f- following that? That's wild. They all wear it too. It's it's. Oh, you mean no I matter like, where they go, no matter where they show up, they're dressed like that. That was my impression. Because whenever I saw them and they were like out, that's what they wore. I was like. This is very intense. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not to mention uh, scary. Yeah, like for on people adding, who have just survived something. Yeah, on top of everything that you've gone through, it's like why? Why the hell are people coming in with SWAT gear? My God. Well, they also don't have a word for rape, so they were just like, <laughs> it was wild. They were just like, did they force you to have sex with them? And I was like. I don't like that insinuation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was very different. But I, anyways, I, um, two men showed up to pick me up. Walk gear and all. And I could barely move. And the gentleman from the front desk in my hostel came and picked me up and like helped to get me downstairs and he looked he looked like he was shitting himself the whole time he was like what happened um but he left me in a room with these two dudes neither of whom spoke english because like you're in switzerland you don't have to right um and they were like come come and i was like yeah yep take me it's all good um so they brought me to the station uh, I figured at that point that's what they were trying to communicate because, like, where else would they take me? And at the station, um, I was surrounded by female authorities who could somewhat speak English. And so they took my initial statement and then they brought me. The initial statement took a long time. They kept me in a room for a long time. This is, there's no medical examination yeah, happening before this to make sure, like, you're... Nope. Then they brought me, after nightfall, to the hospital in Bern whoa, because... Whoa, 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 What if there was... Okay, continue. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just... I'm, I'm just oh, getting, yeah. like, furious with, over with, here. I'm, like, I'm so just, like... Internal bleeding? Uh, brain injury? What the fuck? Yeah. Sorry, I laugh a lot through this because it's just so fucking insane to me. Yeah. So sorry, I swear a lot. That's hey, like I don't that. really have a filter. You know us. There's no. <laughs> you know us. No, I mean that's uh, that's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking too when you're saying you literally can barely communicate at this point. What type of fucking statement are they taking? They got like 19 pages out of me later. 19 pages. I'm like, I can't even look at them because I know they're gibberish. I'm like, what? Uh, Was there there any sort of like trauma unit or is this just literally like the officers at like. Nope. So this is. These are just the folks they had on hand. 
But God. Is, do you think is this partially do you have you conjectured that this is perhaps because you were foreign and like a backpacker? So there's more of like a disregard. Like, I'm just curious, is this I mean, no. my mind's running where I'm like, <laughs> is this what would happen with anyone like who lived, who is a citizen of the country? This is what would happen with anybody. Which is very concerning to me. Uh, I asked those questions. And eventually after nightfall, they had gotten a detective, a female detective who was on vacation with her husband. They got her to come back. She was the only female detective. And they put her on my case because she was one of their top. And she's the one who drove me to the hospital an hour or two hours away. At which point there were maybe three people left in the hospital. Where is this? Switzerland. So they brought me from Interlaken to Bern. Okay. Are these that's are far these away cities? Like Ber- is Interlaken a, Ber- is very Interla- small. Interlaken is small. Interlaken's okay. tiny. Bern is big. Yeah. And all the while, she was like, she was the nicest person, but still, she just kept like asking, like, "Do you have a partner at home?" And I was like, "No." And she was like, "Are you a virgin?" And I was like, "What?" Like, oh, but she got me into the hospital in Bern and I I went in and they stripped me. Uh, There was a whole team waiting for me of three people, Uh, I guess of their equivalent of like an FBI, I think. I don't really know. Nobody really communicated with me in that room. They just stripped me, put my stuff in a bag, and held up different parts of me to photograph all the bruises. Um, And then they they did the rest of the rape kit. So Um, was there any rape kit done at at the police station before? No. Nothing. Okay. They put me in a room. Okay. And then after those three people left, they brought me to another room with this little old nurse who was like the sweetest and she spoke English and she was like, you remind me of my granddaughter. And I was like, lady, this is not the time. Thank you though. (laughs) And she tried to take my blood and don't know what was going on with my body, how much shock it had been through, and trauma. My blood wasn't moving. It, like, was not coming out. Um, so they Had you had water or food or anything throughout the day? They didn't give me anything. Yeah. And they had to bring in, they had to call an anesthesiologist get her to the hospital, bring her in. And then other nurses started to show up. And then it took like four people holding me down. I got stuck with needles 12 times to get enough blood for the rape kit. And of course, in the blood, no drug showed up because at that point they wouldn't. Yeah, of course. It's like fucking 30 hours or some shit. Yeah. 
And you don't have an IV or anything. You haven't had any fluids for over 24 hours either. Okay. Yep. And then, um, yeah, now I can't do needles, by the way. I used to, like, be really into phlebotomy. Like, I know, weird thing. But, you know, historical archaeologist, I dig up dead people shit. It's fine. (laughs) And so I, like, never thought it was weird, never, like, had any pain associated with it and now I fully black out and it's bad yeah understandable yeah so that's another piece of the trauma puzzle was that hospital um but when they finished they bandaged my arms all up and my hands and they gave me back to this detective and she drove me another hour to a separate police station I had never been to. What they the didn't fuck? keep you in the fucking hospital? <laughs> oh my no. god. You're literally about to die of fucking dehydration if you, like, at the very fucking least. Yeah. I oh mean, like, there's a lot wrong with this, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. It's just the tip of the iceberg because then they brought me to that that other police station. This is back, brought another, me into this is a back room. another this is another two hours or this is how, how, like an the hour, drive? an hour in a different direction. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. And so I'm in this room till nighttime and they bring in a translator, the detective and one of the cops that I had met back in Interlochen. And they dismissed the translator. They said she'd take too long. I low-key think it was a race thing, but I don't say that. Uh, she was the only black person I saw in my entire time in <laughs> Switzerland. Uh, but the second she walked in, they almost treated her like she was stupid. I was like, this lady speaks way more languages than you do, and she definitely knows what the word rate means. So, yeah. But they... They kicked her out, and then they got 19 pages of a statement out of me. 19 pages. And they said that they had caught my attackers at the border because they were leaving. They were trying to get out of Switzerland, and they caught them, and that they were being held, and their statement was being given. And I said, okay. But they took mine, and then I was like, are they going to jail? And these women assured me that the way the justice system works in Switzerland is a lot better than the U.S. (laughs) And they told me that within two months, they would be in jail for three to ten years for what they did to me. And that the judge on my case was a a strong woman known in the area. So so already they're saying that they have a judge on the case and that these men are already going to trial. This seems like, this seems like quite a lot. Right. Two men giving within like that short period of time. Yeah. (laughs) Oh yeah. That seems a little absurd. Yeah. A little bit. And they had not at that point given me any further medical examination outside of rape kit. So I'm telling them my knee hurts, I can't lift my arms, my head hurts, my neck hurts. And they're like, 
well, you didn't seem to be in pain. I'm like, what? So that somehow worked its way in too. They asked me directly if I thought that they wanted to kill me. And I said, I don't know. Because at that point, it took me about three weeks after the attack to like come to terms with the fact that that moment of I'm going to die and I need to get my body back wasn't just me being crazy, but it was actually I they wanted me dead. That's crazy. That's a really hard thing to come to terms with. Mm -hmm. So it took me a few weeks to come to be able to say, yeah, no, they they try to kill me. So that's in there, too. But it's really, I can't read it. I I signed over my power of attorney to my mother because obviously I couldn't do anything anyways. And she read it and she was just like, this is wild. Um, but they wanted to keep me in the country. They said that, they said that I should stick around to see the case through for the next couple of months. And I was like, you haven't given me medical care. And at this point, I'm already a chronically ill person, by the way. So like, (laughs) backpacking might not have been smart in the first place. But they hadn't given me medical care and they hadn't allowed me to contact my family again. Also, and now they're telling me I don't get to leave. Also basic needs like I'm still can't even get over like food and water and like suffering from exhaustion and like all these kinds of things sort of like any sort of human comfort I like basic basic human yeah I was gonna say basic basic human that's what I'm saying basic human comfort like like something for you to like like a a blanket or a glass of water oh my god or like to to survive like you can die from not drinking water after like 24 36 hours you could you could like that could be really bad yeah it was really bad what was what was going on on your parents end during this i mean because this is i'm guessing the timeline with first going to the police station then going to the hospital then going back to the police station this has got to be like at least 12 hours correct oh yeah okay they were flipping out they bought an emergency plane ticket for me to get home. And they have they have no contact besides your phone and do the authorities have your phone? Do you know any I do not okay, remember. Okay, okay, okay. But basically I don't have it. I know okay. I don't have it. Okay. Okay. Yeah. They 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 don't really don't. have any way to contact you is basically what's going on. No. And then the detective at one point told me that she had talked to my mother. I don't I don't know what was covered there, but after they insisted I be there in the country for the next two months, apparently this detective must have spoken to my mother in that time because she was the one fighting for me to be released. And she said that I needed to go home and be with my family. And she is the only reason I was allowed to leave. So she had, this was made clear to me by not just her, but other people there I was like what you want to hold me hostage like I'm very confused um that's what it felt like she had two officers again in SWAT gear um pick me up from that police station and drive me back to my hostel because 
at that point, I had the secured flight from my parents. Wait, back to your hostel? Yeah, to pick up my stuff. And then, here's the kicker, drive my rental car four hours to the airport. Wait, you're going to drive the rental car. That's what they're expecting from you. I fell asleep at the wheel four times. But I made it Wait, all so the way. So they were literally like, okay, bye, peace, like get your things and then like. Yeah. So at that point, the adrenaline picked way the fuck back up. Yeah. And I was just like, all right. Because my car is parked by their hostel. And at that point, I had no idea if they had been released or what. And so I packed my stuff. And I moved as quickly as possible, again, using only one of my legs properly to get to my car to drive four hours. But on my car was a note waiting from the man who raped me saying, we should really talk this out. Give me a call. So did they they left a number? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's more. Oh my god! So I, is this the ne- so so timeline wise? Is this the next day? So so if if you so, escaped at seven in the morning, is this then tw- the the day after that? Yes. Okay. And you you've had so, basically no sleep. You've been dealing just with either the hospital or the authorities all night long. This is the next day. Yeah. So. And I hadn't slept the night that they took no, me. No, so I just lost consciousness. Being, so it was just yeah. like no sleeping. It's been like and, it's been like seventy-two hours with you not sleeping, minus losing consciousness. Yeah. Oh, before I left my hostel, though, I sat in the shower. I crawled to the shower and I sat in there because I was like super wigged out. Yeah. Um. Oh wait, no. Did I? I wanted to. Sorry, I wanted to. That was clarified to me later when I got home and my mother was like, you smell like asshole. You need a shower. Mm. Anyways, so I drove. I fell asleep at the wheel four times, did not crash, made it all the way to the parking garage, crashed into a car. I was like. At the airport. No. Like. A little ways away from the airport at the rental car place because, yeah, so I had to take a taxi to the airport. So just relying on other human beings and um, they wanted to keep me at the rental place, too. Because of the crash car, I was like, listen, you have any issue, you can call the Interlochen Police Department, please leave me alone. And then I called a cab on my own, and I left. And then the gentleman who drove the cab could see, I mean, like, it was really hard not to, that there was a lot wrong. And he was really, really nice. And he helped carry my bag and helped me walk into the airport. Oh, wow. And then... I don't remember after that for a long time. And then I remember 
coming to, I like lost consciousness a lot. Um, I remember coming to in Iceland. So I had a connecting flight and in Iceland, thankfully the departing flight was running late because my incoming flight had been late. So all I could think was now I'm going to get stuck here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everybody was watching me at that point in the airport. Cause again, handprints, like now I'm covered in bandages. I just, it's a mess. And I made it just in time to get on the plane and a man next to me started talking to me about how his brother runs Hell's Angels in Rhode Island or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's nice. But he was just talking and talking and talking. And I, <laughs> he he was telling me about how his wife lives um, is in Finland, in Finland with his kids. And he was from Rhode Island. And I didn't realize that he was trying to keep me awake. And then he stuck out his hand. He said, I'm Paul. And I shook his hand. And he held the bandage and he was like, you okay? And I was like, no. And he was like, all right, I got this. And then for the next four hours home, he kept me awake. He put movies on the screen so that there was noise for me mm -hmm. to stay awake. And he had them bring me water every 20 minutes. And that guy, I credit fully with saving my life. <laughs> fully. More so than the friend who called, more so than anybody else. That guy showed me basic human decency when there was none. He was the first person and one of the only to look at me and decide I was worth saving. For no other reason than I'm a human being. Oh, yeah, he and he, he could have popped those headphones in, watched his it's little a, TV it's a long show, flight, and yeah, like, yeah, just this girl it has off. some shit going on, not my problem. Mm. Mm. Nope, he told me his whole life story to get me, <laughs> to get me to stay away. <laughs> this will always make me thankful for those annoying-ass people that won't fucking shut up next to you on the plane. <laughs> yeah, it was like, I love this guy. <laughs> So I think one of the things in life that can truly bring you comfort and love like no other is a pet. Whatever type of pet they that may be, um, there's nothing quite like their unconditional love. And I know that we do have a lot of cat owners who listen, including you, B. And mm -hmm. um, if you love your kitty, I would imagine you would want to provide them with the best kitty litter out there, and that's Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter is kitty litter reinvented. Unlike traditional litter, Pretty Litter's super light crystals trap odor and release moisture, resulting in dry, low-maintenance litter that doesn't smell. Pretty Litter also helps spare storage space. It's shipped in a small, lightweight, lightweight bag that lasts an entire month. And cat owners know that you're typically dealing with bulky containers and frequent trips to the store. But above all else, here's why Pretty Litter is a pet parent's hero. It's a health indica indicator. 
Pretty Litter monitors your cat's health by changing colors when it detects potential underlying issues, which can be a literal lifesaver. And it can encourage you as the owner to go to the vet and see what may be wrong with your kitty. You won't find that kind of innovation in conventional litter. Also, Pretty Litter is virtually dust-free because it's manufactured with a specialized uh, de-dusting process. And for those of you who may be like members of my family, um, that will really save on allergies you may have from standard dusty litter. Do what's best for you and your kitty. Make the switch today. Go to prettylitter.com and use promo code chatty for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com promo code chatty for 20% off your first order. It is so, so important for you to let those important special people in your life know how much you love them and how much they mean to you. But sometimes it's really hard to say that face to face. Writing a letter expressing your heart is wonderful, but we now have a way to not only express your love with words, but also with illustrations that will forever remain in a special book called Love Book. I truly do love Love Book. Um, I have now made a few for different family members, uh, specifically from Ember, and more than any other gift, these have had the best reactions and meant the most to people we love because not only do you get to express how much you love them it's also put together in the cutest format that can be so perfectly crafted for each person each book is completely customizable you can create characters that look just like you and the recipient down to outfits and accessories and while customers have the option to personalize each page as much as they'd like you also have love books express option that creates a complete book with just a few clicks love book even offers a membership program now you'll save immediately on your purchase today and also receive 50 percent off any future purchases which you'll absolutely love once you see how much one of these means to someone you love love book is not for yourself it's always a gift it's ideal for that special someone that really deserves a meaningful present you just visit lovebookonline.com slash chatty and today you can receive a special 20% off discount only for our listeners. That's lovebookonline.com slash chatty and receive a special 20% discount. And I had, I had never been out of the country either. So I had no idea what it was like coming back in. Mm. So he got me through customs. He got me through everything. He like helped carry me. He carried my bag. And then he got held up at customs because he was married to a woman in another country and they were giving him hell. And I was just like, I don't have time for this. So I just started to hobble out. And at Logan Airport in Boston, the international flights lead out into this. It's like massive windows, but there's this metal bar around that nobody you're not allowed to go past like So there's all these families waiting for people and like partners and loved ones. And I walk out and everybody goes silent. And like, here comes my father, all like 300 pounds of him (laughs) bowling down. And he just like picks me up and picks up my bag and pulls me out. And at that point, my mother was waiting with a friend of mine who they had called and that's how I got home. They, they had been waiting all day and they carried me to the car and they said they had called the hospital. And then they said, first they called my pediatrician's office because 
again, it's Boston. So like every generation of my family has ever, has always <laughs> gone to the same pediatric office. And, um, they called my pediatricians and they were like sobbing and they were like, don't bring her to the hospital just yet. Mm. She needs sleep. She needs food. Bring her here tomorrow. Even though I wasn't a patient there anymore, my goddaughter was. And they were like, we know her, so we are less of a threat. So mm-hmm. just bring her in, mm-hmm. and we'll do a full eval in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and my OBGYN was a full eval right after that. So they brought me here to my house. <laughs> well, their house. And... They had my old favorite food waiting for me from my old, like, spot, and I couldn't eat it. And my mom helped me shower, but I sat in there for a long time. That was my shower. Um, And they kept my friend here. And then pretty much for the next year of my life... People were just on rotation, taking care of me and being with me. But I did not get medical help until the 28th. Which this all happened on the 23rd, correct? Uh, 25th. 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 Yeah, yeah. That's the night of the 25th. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The 25th. The tw- okay. Wow. Okay. And, and we're dealing with traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Okay. Amongst other things. Mm-hmm. So when they did the evaluation, then from there, I'm guessing you ended up going to the hospital and yeah, I needed a lot to of discover what was going on. I needed a lot of imaging, uh, and nothing was like popping up on my imaging because concussions don't. Oh, um, yeah. which is wild. But I could barely walk. Obviously, I couldn't balance enough to stand on my own. I needed mobility aids. Um, I couldn't, like, function. Like, I couldn't have a conversation. This is still kind of new to me. The com- mm-hmm. the conversing mm-hmm. part is mm-hmm. still within the last, like, nine months. I started being able to, like, fully do that. Um, couldn't go to the bathroom by myself. Couldn't, couldn't move my arms. So I couldn't move my arms past, like, like here now I can do this (laughs) uh I couldn't move my head so I could only move like this because of trauma to my neck now I can do this which is exciting but oh and for listeners who don't watch the YouTube I am fully extending myself which is very exciting (laughs) she is turning her head to the right she she can get Those arms are up They're at high up at high. <laughs> yeah, it's a very like visual thing. Basically, we've got yoga bitch up in here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so for the first year, I was on bed rest. And then after that, they moved me to Spalding Rehab Hospital when my neurologist out of the Brigham finally admitted he had no idea what he was doing which is good because people with traumatic brain injury should not be on bed rest. Didn't oh know that. God. 
And then Spalding, I don't know if you have heard of Spalding Rehab Hospital, but mm-hmm. it's where um, the survivors of the Boston Marathon bombings were all treated for okay. years. Okay. Yeah. So my team was there. I still have parts of my team there, but yep. Occupational therapy, speech therapy, physical therapy. And that was after the first year? After the first after year. After the first year. So for the first year, it took me six months to be allowed screens. No phones, TV, anything. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. So it was just laying here in this room and existing and being okay with that. And a lot of my friends within the first month or friends within my first month back Mm -hmm. decided that I should just get over it, that I should magically just start moving like normal again and being like normal again. So I lost a lot of people because I couldn't serve them anymore. And really very few people, I think like my two closest friends are still in my life uh, from that point. Like my closest friends from that point are no longer in my life, but friends I knew who knew me before have become my closest friends Mm now. Mm -hmm. Um, Is it difficult to even relate with them in terms of now dealing with not only uh, incredible emotional and mental trauma, but then also just having a physical disability. I imagine that alone has got to be really difficult in the way that you interact with and relate to people. Yeah. I kind of suck at that now. (laughs) I used to be like, I love everybody. Everybody's story like makes sense to me on its own playing field. And now I'm just like, I don't have time for this. Mm -hmm. Like, which makes me such a dick. But my two closest friends are survivors, and they are also chronically ill people. Mm -hmm. So they have that. But up until about six months ago, I had never met another person like me in terms of traumatic brain injury, attempted homicide, and rape. Mm -hmm. Because attempted homicide is the piece of the puzzle that a lot of people don't have. Mm. Right. Like, if you Google support groups for survivors of attempted homicide, what shows up is support groups for family members of people who have been killed, Mm -hmm. which is valid, totally valid. There There is a real need for that, but there is a real need for people like me who need to know that other people have fought over Mm -hmm. who is going to get to kill them. Because that's not a daily fucking occurrence. That is not a common thing. And it's something that is incredibly difficult to wrap your head around. When you were talking... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, the only people I really relate to are these women who have been kidnapped for weeks Mm -hmm. at a time and come out and they survive. And I'm like... 
there are escape stories I can relate to, but there's very few people. Yeah. Or, there's not places for people like me. Yeah, and I'm guessing uh, uh, probably the vast majority of people surviving homicidal attempts may be survivors of domestic abuse. And that also is a different experience, very much a different experience than what you experience. Yeah. It's not like one's more, I mean, it's just different. The experience is going to be very different of some, just two different things. Yeah. I grew up in a domestic violence situation. I was sexually assaulted by the age of 14. I was exposed to a lot of different areas of trauma by a very young age and this is a completely different beast altogether mm. and this is so rare I guess it yeah. feels yeah. rare to have all of these components fit together mm-hmm. I mean even in terms of like Rape, you know, the vast majority of rape, which thankfully we're acknowledging as a society, is not the kind of rape that you see in uh, CSI, you know, but you kind of survived one of these like CSI like moments and how many other people are going to be able to relate to that kind of experience. Thankfully, very few, but unfortunately, so few that it's (laughs) difficult to find people to relate to the experience, you know? Yep. Oh, I know. Yeah, I didn't mean it like, you know, <laughs> but I'm like, as I'm thinking this, I'm like, yeah, wow. I can't imagine the the isolation that that must, that must put you through. Well, yeah. and you, and you mentioned at the beginning that you said, you're like, I don't even know what I like anymore. So with all the, the traumatic injuries and everything, are you then obviously you had all these physical things that were happening, but now are you in this place where you've lost, like you said, not knowing what you like or who you are now, because this is a, these, these three years are completely a brand new you. Yeah. How has this affected personal identity? I mean, that's a, such a, that's like such a dumb question, I guess, because it's like uh, in every way possible, (laughs) but I guess what are some of the tangible ways that your personal identity might've been affected that, is maybe something that you, someone wouldn't think about or consider, especially when dealing with a traumatic brain injury. The big one is I was ready to dedicate my life to historical archaeology. Mm-hmm. 100%. It wasn't some walk-in first day of freshman year, just pick something and go with it, which is totally cool. A lot of people find their passions that way. But I like hunted this down and I made it my world because historical archaeology is like that you know you have to live with the people you work with you socialize with the people you work with it becomes your whole life and now I guess I like historical archaeology because when I talk about it I still I still light up in some way so I'm told (laughs) But all of these other all-encompassing aspects of it, I want nothing to do with. And as a result, like, I could never return to that path. When people ask me if I'm still in speech therapy so I can go to grad school, I'm like, excuse me? Like, I'm lucky if I can read a book now. Like, I'm grateful Mm -hmm. just to be at home with my family and not 
have this entire other life, this career, right? Like, I think that's the big thing is career working was everything to me. Mm -hmm. It really was like, you don't work multiple jobs because it's, you know, it's not a part of who you are. Mm -hmm. You do it because work ethic and like pushing forward because of necessity and that necessity ingrains in you this movement, which when I talk to disabled people, they get, but I'm going to try to articulate this. Y'all can move from one place to the next. You can drive. Physically, You can go yeah, to the store. Can... <laughs> yeah, but also not just physically. You can mentally decide that you're going to go do something. And that's, that's there. That's an option. I don't have that. You know, that mobility, that It goes back to like working, like I'm not like a cog anymore. I'm not in the machine. I am completely subtracted from it. But in the same, by the same token of not working, I can't just go to a movie because I want to go to a movie. Mm -hmm. I can't decide I'm going to take a trip in three months mm -hmm. because it sounds like fun. Mm -hmm. I can't go to the grocery store. I can't even walk around my block. Because of PTSD and TBI, traumatic brain injury. But a lot of people don't think about that. Yeah, you're like, disconnected from both work and leisure. So where does that leave you? And like being, choice. not doing. Right. Yeah. You have to get really, really, really comfortable with just existing. How the fuck does one do that? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't have known <laughs> had this never happened. I was constantly moving, like constantly. I was a runner. I ran three miles every morning when I woke up and then I went to school. I did my homework. I did school. I went to my job. I came home. I cooked dinner for Haley and I fucking Finish more homework and I went to bed and I got up and I did it all again. And I planned trips and I planned vacations for my family and then I planned a plane ticket out. And that's that's movement that I will never have in the same way ever again. Does being get easier? Yeah. I hate that it does. I like really hate that it does. I get angry about it. Like I just, for the first year of bed rest, I was told that I would be healed by the end of it. So I fully believed I was going to be you back at it. You yeah. had a timestamp on, yeah. on. There was on a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. And then I went to Spalding and one of my physical therapists looked at me and she said, for a long time, life is rehab. It's just every day you wake up and you do what you have to to rehab. And then at one point, rehab is life. The rest of your life 
is going to look like this. You are disabled and you are going to need to do these basic things that people don't have to, to be able to do daily tasks like shower, like walk, like play with your dog. Yeah. So sorry, it's probably really really heavy <laughs> no, it's just a lot of, it's yeah, a lot it's to just, think it's a lot to think about too especially like what you're saying when you're talking about just the idea of you know it's something that someone like becca and i have and you know i know this probably sounds like the most cheesiest piece of shit ever but you know i I have many days when I wake up and I just take so much for granted and I'll be in a shit mood and to breathe in moment by moment, knowing that I don't have to process the way that you're talking about that just being in those abilities. It's just, yeah, that's a lot to take in just because it's not something that I think about often, if I'm being honest. I mean, we don't have to. Yeah, we yeah. don't have to. It's like the luxury of not having to think about any of that mm-hmm. shit. Why? Yeah, why would you? You know, like, <laughs> why would you in your normal life unless you're reminded of it? Like on a daily basis, which I'm sure your family and I mean, you're, so you're living with your parents now. Was Were yeah. you living with your parents before? Yeah. Okay. I had moved. Yeah. Can I ask? And um, of course. Uh, I'm sorry. Can I ask if whatever <laughs> happened to the guys, to the two men, did you ever find so out? So the kicker, the kicker is because they were former military. The American embassy came and picked them up and told Switzerland they would be tried here. But what they did was bring them to England and release them so they could continue backpacking. What? Why? What? I don't know. But then the case in Switzerland disappeared when all the women and the judge were taken off the case and replaced with men. And then they scared my lawyer there. Something happened. She would. She stopped communicating, and she gave a number of somebody else who might be able to help me. He never communicated back. And every person I've contacted here, including senators, it lands on their desk. They get excited about handling it, and then it magically goes away. So they live in the middle of the country, and one of them is a rape survivor counselor. So they are free and they are doing this to whomever else. Wait, so you know where they are now, essentially. Like they they're yep. they're here back in the United States. Mm-hmm. And so the rape kit disappeared, all of that disappeared. My clothes, I signed a release form that they would mail it back to me. Never came. All of it disappeared. Is this some like conspiracy shit? Why are uh, that's what my partner says all the time. <laughs> well, who the fuck like, are these what? guys? What did they do in the fucking I know, military? Like, do we have names? Do like, we have what? numbers? I mean, this is so... Com- like, I, what, what can what, we do? I mean, but also, like, what's the motivation? What, why would Switzerland... <laughs> I mean... 
Why? Well, I mean, there's first Switzerland's relationship with the U.S. is very good. So there's yeah. probably a level of like the U.S. is coming over and being like, don't make a stink. But about that's why this. I'm like, who are these people then? Why are they being protected by the United States? Like, why would that be? Th- I wish I knew because this landed on every Massachusetts senator's desk. I mean, a person running for president right now, it landed on her damn desk. And we were told she would handle it, and it didn't get handled. And then they stopped answering our phone calls within three weeks. Is this September 2017 or 2016? 2016. 2016. Yeah. So basically it's like... I just, I'm still trying to find people who will take it on. I'm not going to quit, especially now that I'm in a position where I can articulate what happened. I was going to say, this is not, I I was wondering, like, are you in a situation where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm done. No, you're ready to like, let's, let's keep this. Let's figure this out. Let's get these men behind bars. Oh yeah. Okay. Because my mother had to handle it at first because I couldn't. Yeah. So now I'm in a position where I'm like, fuck that. We're doing this. Like 2020 is the year. You said he's working as a what? He is a counselor for rape survivors, and that is what he was when they came backpacking. Finding that out threw me for a fucking loop. Nobody told me that until like six months in because I just couldn't. I couldn't handle it. I mean, this makes you wonder, like, have these guys fucking murdered people like like uh, murdered other women? They definitely women? have. They fought over, I should include this, they fought over who would get to kill me at one point. Like, a lot of memories came back. Like, at one point, while one of them was restraining me after they drugged me and, like, had beaten me some, they told me if I could do the Macarena, I would be allowed to leave. I couldn't move. Like, and they just, like, laughed. It was, like, it was just really bizarre shit. And then at one point, one of them left. No, the, the one who eventually raped me and, like, bashed my head in, he left because they had gotten into a fight over who would get to kill me. So he left, and I asked the other one. I was like, can I leave? Because <laughs> that's all I could say. I was like, no, and can I leave? And he said, no, he'll, he'll be right back. And then he ended up coming back. Like... This is a thing that they do. Yeah, I was going to say like, this is this sounds like this has happened many times before. Like just 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 the way that they initially even found you and moved you and moved along with you to a different hostel, didn't stay in the same hostel like it also makes me think if it's a one-off situation there would be less stake for something to be covered up. If this is something that has continually happened to women or even like American women in particular, there's something else going on. I mean, it's, it's so, it's, I imagine you must go through this too of like, it's, it's scary that the, the, like these are evil people who want to do evil things to people. And like you said, no one really stopped it while it was happening and no one's really doing anything now to put an end to it. That's, t- that's gotta be so scary for you to live with in a way. It's, It's absolutely terrifying because now that I'm in a position to articulate myself, I 
they didn't ever think I would be. So they really thought this would go away. And now I'm like throwing up my free flag. Like everybody pay attention because this is, I'm not going away. I'm still here. I'm the biggest mistake they ever made. They let me, they let me get away. And that's the biggest mistake they ever made. And I'm going to make it the biggest mistake they ever made because they won't do this to other people. I can't, I can't live like that. But at the same time, a couple of days before Thanksgiving, I had been more vocal since starting Spalding, but like graduating occupational therapy, graduating physical therapy. I got a lot more vocal and I was identifying details and sharing them. And then a couple of days before Thanksgiving, I received a death threat, an anonymous death threat on Instagram. And the local authorities here, they, they've said they don't know, they don't know what to do with the case. They can't touch it because of jurisdiction, but the threat they can and the way the threat was sent anonymously through Instagram, you would think it would be easy to track. Sure. They went through loops. They they went through hoops to make sure that that wasn't Various possible. VPN things, I'm sure, all that kind of shit. Yeah. So the authorities here are completely convinced that it's them. They're like, this isn't a troll. This is personal. The way it was written was personal. Um. So me getting louder, they don't like it. How does your family deal with this or like your partner? Because I know thinking of being in the family member's position, I'd be like, we're going to get on some vigilante shit and we're going to like murder some people. We're gonna, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're are gonna, you kidding we're me? Gonna, oh, my God. You know, like how is that for your for your loved ones to deal with and how do they cope with that? So I don't really have a relationship with my two older brothers, although I'm very close to um, my nieces and my nephew, mm-hmm. obviously, and my goddaughter. Um, and my father, I have a minimal relationship with, although thankfully he works and pays for my medical care and my mother's so that my mother can be my caregiver. So my mother is actively my caregiver. I have a, um, a service dog in training also, but my mother, I think is so defeated but she's the one who was like, fuck this. We're going yeah. all out. We're going to we're gonna handle this. And then just time after time getting knocked down. It's and hopeless. I, yeah. yeah, because I couldn't talk about it either. I wasn't able to. So it was just like, and, it, and then she ended up getting diagnosed with stage three lung cancer in the middle of it, in the middle of my recovery. So then she was sick for a long time and we were just taking care of each other, just trying to balance it out. So then then it got dropped for a while but my friends are very vigilante and my partner he's wild card (laughs) 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 he's like he's one of those like hilarious conspiracy theorists as is he's like give me another reason to hate the government please (laughs) right now where I'm like like what are we gonna do right now Becca (laughs) 
No, I'm flying no, too. Oh no, I'm thinking. No, I'm thinking right now, and I'm like, this is like, this is got to be multiple tiers of cover up. There's something deeper going on here. This is a ring of ex military people who are murdering people, backpackers. You know, like uh, now I'm my conspiracy wheels are turning. Jesus Christ! Oh, yeah. But he's very, he's cute. I uh. I got to spend some time alone for the first time. My family went on vacation, so I got to be home alone, which was really exciting um, for the first time in August. And so I just had my service dog and myself. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was awesome until I thought I heard somebody in the house Mm -hmm. and I blacked out. And so I called my partner and he like showed up like with a bat and he's like, casing the whole <laughs> <laughs> he's like they're not coming <laughs> so and then when I got the threat he was just like nope not happening and he's like always checking the windows and everything he's he's very he's a good egg Chantel. but he definitely wants us to go the fuck away <laughs> he's like let's handle this and get it done yeah well okay so so what Here's my thing. What can we do? Because I know that you're saying like now you're able to be vocal. You want to get this out there. Number one, I'm like, okay, I want to be concerned and aware of your safety. So like what are the what are things practical? things? Is is there anything? Is there anything we can do? Like what can our what can the broad squad? What can we do? I'm not totally sure. Maybe reach out to Ayanna Presley because she is an active part of the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center, which okay. uh, I have been a part of, but my mother was was helped by them. They help support systems too. So that's the only way my mother learned how to deal with what was going on with me when I couldn't help myself. So she learned how to be a caregiver through the Boston Area Rape Crisis Center. And Congresswoman Ayanna Presley is a part of the oh, Boston she's Area a, Rape she's Crisis a con- Center. She's a congresswoman. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Sorry, she's part of the uh, squad, so I just assume everybody knows her name now. <laughs> I'm just like, whatever. Um, but she she takes on difficult cases, or okay. she has in the past. Okay. So I guess reaching out to her, I don't know. Is that, something, ask, is that something you've already done? Just out uh, of curiosity. In the past, Okay, yeah. okay, okay. But, and, and Elizabeth Warren... It landed on her desk I was and it disappeared ask. after a couple of weeks. So if you want to make a stink, make a stink, you can make a stink. But also, if there's anybody with legal experience who understands jurisdiction, who is willing to touch this case and not get scared away, send them my way, please. I, I, I just I am like ninety nine point nine percent sure that we have a good amount of people involved in the legal system who listen to this. I've gotten messages before, so please, anyone listening. I'm also wondering if there's like any sort of social media awareness campaign that can kind of be run where it's like that. You know, we always see these little like viral things, but I think that they can be really effective. Where it's like, I don't, I don't know if this would be effective in this case, but the kind of thing where it lays out like this is what happened to this woman like in 2016 here like they caught the two men they were the you know trial was never pursued like these files went missing and one of them is now working as a rape uh, and trauma counselor like in the united states still like you know 
Congress person, whoever, like, please pay attention to this and do not like continue to let this go ignored. Like, I'm wondering if something like that would be effective, too. I'm willing to do anything, but I've publicly shared my story through Instagram. And um, I also have a blog that I started as part of speech therapy to write more. Okay. Um, And I've, I've shared and it doesn't go to the places where it needs to go. It's not getting where it needs to be. And I don't know what more I can do. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I do the walk for change, which is a walk to end sexual violence every year for the Boston area rape crisis center. And through that, for the three months leading up to it, I'm fundraising, I'm getting walkers, people hear my story and actively answer to it. But it's just not, it's, it's like, it's worth, it's worth 50 bucks and that's it. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 I do believe like we are living at this current time, though, in a generation where for the first time in the past couple of years, Netflix shows, podcasts are mm-hmm. getting stories out there. And if our listeners like if you're listening to this right now, let's just fucking get this story out there. Like we have a lot of people tell us all the time who are guests on that the broad squad can scare them sometimes. Cause when we bring up something, you all are a powerful group of people, like just getting the information out there. Like some of these Netflix documentaries have, we've, you, we've seen major change happen. And the fact that you are willing to put yourself in a position, communicate your story beautifully and put yourself in this position of threat I mean, maybe I'm just an optimist, but I believe wholeheartedly that this can, that we can see a change with this. I believe it. Well, we may have to go up against the United States government. Well, and who are they really even, you know? (laughs) I'm like, well, (laughs) no, I think it's a hundred percent. We are in the age of like, it's one of the cool things about the internet and social media Mm -hmm. is like when people start making a big enough stink about things, things can change. And what's your, what's your Instagram and blog? So people. So my Instagram is Chantel DG. And then my blog is getting good at running Can you spell Chantel? C H A N T E L L E. Okay. And we'll include all of this in the episode notes too. Um, for all of you listening. Um, and I know you have the blog. We'll include links for that. And does that have your story in, in it? It's about to. I haven't posted it because I was waiting for the date for the Walk for Change this year to get announced. But it just got announced. So I just put the pages up. Okay. And, yep. The story Perfect. will will be there. Okay. And then it's that. here too now. So and now it's it here. And then yeah. there's also a donation link I saw that you have um, that we will include also in the notes. Um, yeah. And also, if we can include, um, I'll look into uh, finding maybe the details of how to easily contact some of these Congress people so that it's easy yeah, for yeah, our actually, listeners. I'm guessing that that was my first thought is like, I think that if enough people are contacting Congress people, that could also be really effective as well. Yeah, 
thank you so much, like, just for hearing it, but also for being this receptive and responsive. I mean, I I really appreciate it. I don't know what else there is to say. So many levels. Thank you for for being able to share this part of your life and being able to share your, this is your life now. And thank you for that. And I am so unbelievably like I I mean there's not there's not a word for it but unbelievably sorry that when you were in that situation overseas that you had no one and then that you came over here and that there has been no one listening and thank you for being willing to share this story with us and the listeners even though so many people have let you down in this and I hope and I pray that this will be at least a, a moment that maybe some of us can help by just sharing your story because you're willing to share it. Thank you so much. That's so, uh, makes me feel, it makes me feel good when, I don't know, there's more light than darkness, but like really there is. And you guys are a huge example of that. Chatty Broads has gotten me through (laughs) (laughs) like seriously there are times where I'm laying here and I'm like wow and then I just listen to you guys and I'm laughing and I feel better and I really appreciate that thanks Chantel thank you 2020 we're gonna do this We're going to fuck their shit. We're going to so fuck their You're shit You're lifting up. your arms above your head. You have neck You're- control. <laughs> and I don't know what it's going to fucking take to do something, but let's see I'm what happens. To try anything. Yeah. Chantel, thank you <laughs> so much. Um, yeah, there's not really any. I'm like, what else is there to I say? Know. But thank you. I'm going to go run around the block for... <laughs> An hour to get out some pent up. Yeah, I'm sorry. It has that effect on people. But thank you. And yeah, let's do something about this, Broads. I don't know what else way to end it. I know. But me either. But we'll chat I mean, it's, soon. It's it's crazy because this is like it's like a clip. Your your story is still a cliffhanger because. You know, there's no, there's no like neat bow on top of it. Can I ask one thing quickly, as far as like these, these two men and their names, when you have come out before, do you share the names publicly or is this then something that you, okay. Yeah, that doesn't seem, that seems, I don't know why I thought my immediate thought was that seems counterproductive. I don't know why. Why, Why don't you share, share them? I don't share their names because yeah. you can gain legal backlash from Got that. It. Yeah. Got it. That makes and sense. And since nobody's paying attention in the first place, if I'm the one who gets screwed from this, I'm going to be really mad. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Especially, especially you've already received death threats. And I'm imagining if all of a sudden they're getting fucking like Instagram messages from people. <laughs> like, right. That's not, not only or, is that not accomplishing or something. On the other hand, or on the other hand, if all of a sudden someone there's another one with person with the same name and then they're getting like the backlash from something like that's not the actual guy. It's well, another guy with the same name or whatever. Well, even that. if the guys get it, then that could also put like, and not from the right sources, like not from legal sources that could put you in more danger. Yes. If it's just like people harassing them, that doesn't really accomplish anything. I feel like I'm in danger just by existing too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like, 
I don't want to antagonize. Yes. I just want to yes. get justice. Yes. yes. Okay. I just wanted to make mm. sure. No, thank you for asking. I'm I'm here for any questions, even if the broad squad has questions. Like open book, clearly. I'm sure you're going to start getting a lot of DMs. You're going to get questions. a lot of DMs, so <laughs> prepare yourself. <laughs> and is that the best way also if our broads oh, do yeah. want to reach out to you with questions or with ways that maybe maybe legally they can help or whatever? Are DMs the best way or is an email the best yeah. way? What's the best way to reach you? Good question. DMing me is the best way to okay. reach okay. me, Perfect. definitely. Or commenting on my blog because... I always answer those too. Okay. Okay. Perfect. Like I said, we're going to have all the information in the episode notes and, and, um, yeah. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy. I finally got to meet you. I know. <laughs> finally seeing your beautiful face. <laughs> all right, broads 2020. Let's make shit happen. Chat soon, broads. Chat soon. <laughs> <laughs>